Uh, before we get started with today's study, I want to make a, a brief uh, clarification uh, to something I said last week. Last week we were talking about uh, God being called the Most High God. And we touched on the common ancient belief in Judaism uh, that God had created lesser spiritual beings that made up a divine council and that he gave, some, he gave them some level of administrative control over the nations. In fact, in uh, the list of 70 nations in Genesis chapter 10, uh, those nations were divided and disinherited by God in Genesis chapter 11. Why? Because of their sin at the Tower of Babel. When man wanted to make himself and elevate himself uh, to the position of God. And that is a violation of the natural order of creation. And, and God will not allow such a sin to go unpunished. And according to this uh, belief uh, in this uh, type of divine counsel, um, God disinherited the nations. He gave them over. Uh, gave over those 70 nations in their sin, in their disobedience. He gave them over to worship lesser spiritual beings that he had placed on the divine council. And in Psalm 82, later Asaph, the author of Psalm 82, prays for God to inherit the nations again. In other words, he prays for God to take them back, to make them a part of his family and essentially to make Gentiles, like perhaps you and me, his own children. And so when I was explaining this last week, I inadvertently used a word that I did not intend, and the word was control. Uh, and even though I quickly corrected myself last week, I said something to the effect of this, that, that for God to inherit the nations again, according to Asaph's prayer, it implies that God currently does not control the nations, and I quickly corrected that, um, but I want you to understand that that idea is completely incorrect. There is nothing outside of God's control, and so even though I quickly adjusted, even in the midst of that sermon, and more accurately said that the implication for God to inherit the nations again, it implies that God currently is uh, not the inheritor of the nations, but is remedying that fact through the preaching of the gospel and the reception of Jesus Christ as the Savior. Uh, I wanted just to take a moment today to make sure that no one here believes that I'm teaching that God is not in control of things, because He absolutely is. God is in control. He's completely sovereign. There's nothing beyond God's reach. Uh, all authority has its ultimate source in Him. He is all-powerful. And uh, you might wonder, well, why, why even, you know, take the time to correct something that, you know, sort of said in passing and even, even uh, uh, you know, adjusted and uh, said that correctly. It's because of this. I want you to understand that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of preachers when they preach God's word, they, they can be arrogant. And they can essentially declare their own sayings to be the very sayings of God. And the reality is that the only thing that is the word of God is the word of God. And a preacher is only as faithful uh, to proclaim the Word of God as he proclaims it correctly. And so, you know, if I make a mistake, I want to uh, own that mistake and let you know that, you know, your faith is not in me. Your faith is not, uh, should not ever be in any under-shepherd, because that's all I am. 
I'm an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. The great shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in him that you have your faith. And so I answered to him and, and ultimately him alone. No one actually asked me to correct that today. Uh, it was just something that I sensed the need to do because I made an incorrect statement uh, on accident last week. And so uh, this idea that God is all-powerful, it really is, a, and amazingly, a beautiful segue into today's message. Uh, because we're in a series called The Lighthouse, as you can see behind me. Uh, the idea is basically this. There's so much instability in the world. There seems to be so much hopelessness in the world. When you add up the pandemic, you add up economic turmoil, there seems to be widespread depression, uh, people calling wrong right and right wrong. Um, we have incompetent people in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. People that we, the people, have elected to that position. And, uh, and so, that, you know, there's no excuse for it. But uh, all of this seems to create so much turmoil in our lives. It's as if our lives are just being tossed around at sea, as if we're in a boat. And the, uh, the, the waves and the wind of the storms of life are tossing us about. And what we need is a way to get safely into the harbor and to make it ashore on dry ground we need a lighthouse. Well, we know that God himself is our lighthouse. And the beacon that he shines is, is the way that he reveals himself to us. And so no matter what our experience is, no matter our heritage, no matter our wealth or lack of wealth, no matter uh, our ethnicity, no matter our language, no matter anything of the, like that, no matter what needs we have, God reveals himself through his names. He reveals himself through the titles that we ascribe to him. Sometimes these titles come from his uh, very nature. Sometimes he commands us to call us these titles and these names. And it's through the names of God and the titles of God that he reveals not only who he is, but how he can help us. Even in the terrible storms of life. And one of the names that God uh, is, that's used of God in the Old Testament, the, that God actually calls himself in the Hebrew Scriptures, is the term El Shaddai. El Shaddai, meaning the God of all power. Sometimes, and many times, it's translated this way, God Almighty. Now let me address something real quick before we get into the, the study per se. I know, and you know, that a lot of people in our culture today will use that phrase, God Almighty. Almost like it's a cuss word. And I seriously doubt that most people today, when they say the phrase, God Almighty, I seriously doubt that they are truly contemplating the awesome power of the Most High God when they say that. Most likely, they just hit their thumb with a hammer. Or they are surprised at something uh, that they did not expect, and they blurt out a saying like that. Well, let me just say this. It's one thing if an unbeliever says something like that, because unbelievers, they don't love God like you and I do. Okay? But if you're a believer, 
and you use one of God's names, or even just the term God, as a cuss word, or just even as a flippant word that sort of pops out of your mouth with no real meaning to it, you might want to consider trying to break that habit. Okay? Because for you and me as believers, the words we use should honor God. They, the words we use should respect God and lift God up. Not take the holy nature of God and the names of God down to our coarse, obscene, earthy level. Okay? And, and so let's just be careful with how we use our own, the, the words when we talk about God. Now, when we talk about God as El Shaddai, it means that he is the one with all might. He is the one with all power. Even more precisely, we might even say that God is the overpowering one. He's the one whose will cannot be thwarted. He's the one when God decrees that he's going to do something, it will happen regardless of any other power that tries to oppose it. That is what we mean when we say El Shaddai, which is the Hebrew term, God Almighty. Because it is impossible for anyone or anything to keep God from accomplishing what he has sovereignly decreed to do. Do you remember the story of Job? Now, the story of Job is a, just a fantastic story. It's a very ancient, ancient story. Even in biblical terms, it's an ancient story. And Job, of course, was a godly man, a good man, a God-honoring man who lost everything. I mean, in one day, three different reports came back. The first report said, hey, Job, you've lost all of your possessions, all of your animals. Second report, as that guy was still speaking, another guy popped in the tent and said, Hey, Job, you just lost all of your servants. They've been captured. A third report, while that guy was still speaking, came in and said a great whirlwind came and, and took all of your children. You just lost all of your kids. I mean, Job lost everything. And the only thing that Job still had was a contentious wife. And uh, I'm sure he had some thoughts about that. But he lost everything. And so throughout the book of Job... For about 35 chapters or so, Job and his three friends are talking about why this happened. There must have been some sin in Job's life. And Job would argue, no, there's no sin in my life. God did this. And the term that they use for God repeatedly, about 30 times in the book of Job, is Shaddai, the Almighty. And so throughout this extended conversation, they keep talking about God as the Almighty. The implication being that God has decreed these sufferings to come upon Job and there's nothing anybody could do about it. Listen to how Job and his friends talked about the Almighty. I'll read a few verses from Job. See how happy is the person whom God corrects? So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. Surely the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. Can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? For he has stretched out his hand against God and he has arrogantly opposed the Almighty. Let his own eyes see his demise. 
Let him drink from the Almighty's wrath. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. It is impossible for God to do wrong, for the Almighty to act unjustly. And finally, in Job 37, verse 23, we read this. The Almighty, we cannot reach Him. He is exalted in power. He will not violate justice and abundant righteousness. The idea throughout the book of Job is simply this. God, the Almighty, cannot be stopped. He will accomplish what he sets out to do. Well, after about 35 chapters of Job and his friends talking about the Almighty, the Lord finally speaks up. And here's what the Lord has to say. Beginning in Job 38, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, Who is this? who obscures my counsel with ignorant words. Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no farther. Your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place so that so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the oceans? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the road to the home of life? Do you know where darkness lives so that you can lead it back to its border? Are you familiar with the paths to its home? Don't you know? You were already born. You have lived so long. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored? Have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I hold in reserve for times of trouble, for the day of warfare and battle? What road leads to the place where light is dispersed? 
Where's the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth? Who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning to bring rain to an uninhibited land on a desert with no human life to satisfy the parched wasteland and cause the grass to sprout? Does the rain have a father? Who fathered the, de- the drops of dew? Whose womb did the ice come from who gave birth to the frost of heaven when water becomes as hard as stone and the surface of the watery depths is frozen? Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts? And they go. Do they report to you? Here we are. Who put wisdom in the heart? Or gave the mind understanding? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars? Of heaven when the dust hardens like cast metal and the clods of dirt stick together. Can you hunt prey for a lioness or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lairs? Who provides the raven's food when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Have you watched the deer in labor? Can you count the months they are pregnant so that you know the time they give birth? They crouch down to give birth to their young. They deliver their newborn. Their offspring are healthy and grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return. Who set the wild donkey free? Who released the swift donkey from its harness? I made the desert its home and the salty wasteland its dwelling. It scoffs at the noise of the village and never hears the shouts of a driver. It roams the mountains for its pasture land, searching for anything green. Would the wild ox be willing to serve you? Would it spend the night by your feeding trough? Can you hold the wild ox to a furrow by its harness? Will it plow the valleys behind you? Can you depend on it because its strength is great? Would you leave it to do your hard work? Can you trust the wild ox to harvest your grains and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but, her, but are her feathers and plumage like the storks? She abandons her eggs on the ground and lets them be warmed in the sand. She forgets that a foot may crush them. Or that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not her own. With no fear that her labor may have been in vain. For God has deprived her of wisdom. He has not endowed her with understanding. When she proudly spreads her wings, she laughs at the horse and its rider. Do you give strength to the horse? Do you adorn his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His proud snorting fills one with terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He charges into battle. 
He laughs at fear since he is afraid of nothing. He does not run from the sword. A quiver rattles at his side along with a flashing spear and a javelin. He charges ahead with trembling rage. He cannot stand still at the sound of the ram's horn. When the ram's horn blasts, he snorts defiantly. He smells the battle from a distance. He hears the officer's shouts and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your understanding and spread its wings to the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and make its nest on high? It lives on a cliff where it spends the night. Its stronghold is on a rocky crag. From there it searches for prey. Its eyes penetrate the distance. Its brood gulps down blood. And where the slain are, it is there. The Lord answered Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. We supposedly today are very wise in our understanding. We've grown in so much scientific knowledge. And yet we cannot answer these questions that were asked thousands of years ago. When we say that God is the Almighty, we don't even have a clue just how mighty He really is. So where did this idea of God being the Almighty come from? More importantly, what does it have to do with us today? Well, first question, where does it come from? Back in Genesis chapter 11, after God disinherited the nations of the earth and he gave them over in their disobedience to worship lesser spiritual beings, out of all the earth, God chose one man to be his own. One man. His name was Abram. All the rest of the earth could go their own way, but there would be one man whom God would call his own, Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abram to leave the land of his father. Why? The land of his father was for a lesser spiritual being. Abram was to leave the land of his father. And now God would give Abram a new land. God would make Abram a great nation. God would put his blessing on Abram. In Genesis 15, Abram had a question for God. And it's a fair question. Here was the question. How am I supposed to become a great nation if I'm childless? I mean, if I die, everything is going to go to my slave. How is that a great nation? And God answered him, Your heir will not be a slave but it will be a descendant who comes from your own body. Okay. Well, in the next chapter, Genesis 16, that's where Abram's wife Sarai said, you know what? I'm too old for this. I can't have a child. I can't give you a child. You're going to have to have a child with my slave, Hagar. And so that's what Abram did. 
He had a child with Sarai's slave, Hagar. But you know what? That wasn't the way that God's promise was going to be fulfilled. God's promise was going to be fulfilled through Abram, who was elderly, and Sarai, who was also elderly. How's that going to happen? Well, if God was going to give elderly Abram and elderly Sarai a child of their own, it would take a miracle. It would take a God who could overpower nature. And that's exactly what happened. In Genesis 17, verse 1, this is what we read. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai, the overpowering God. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down before God, and, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, which means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, father of a multitude. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and you will make nation, and will make, and I will make nations and kings come from you. I will conform my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. Well, you know what happened. The Almighty God kept his promise. And gave them a son. But the, the promise was not just for a son, but for a nation. That means a continued lineage. Later, Abraham's son Isaac would say this to his own son, Jacob, in Genesis 28, verses 3 and 4. Look what he calls God. He said, May God Almighty... Bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. And then later, God appeared to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And God said this, in Genesis 35, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, which means the one who attacks from the heel. But your name will be Israel, which means he strives with God. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you and kings will descend from you. I will give to you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac. I will give the land to your future generations. Later, that same grandson, 
now named Israel, said this to his own sons. Remember he had 12 sons? And they were on their way to go to Egypt to retrieve their brother. And Abraham's grandson said to his own sons, May God Almighty, El Shaddai, cause the man to be merciful to you so that you will re- he will release your brother and Benjamin to you. Do you see how El Shaddai revealed himself as such to Abraham and to his son and to his son and to his son? El Shaddai, the God of all power, was the one who was able to make a nation come from an elderly man and his wife who could not have children. God, El Shaddai, created a nation for his own inheritance. Do you understand that El Shaddai created this nation to fulfill the promise that he made to Abram, a promise to bless the entire world through him? And throughout the nation, or throughout the centuries, God protected this nation. El Shaddai protected them. He delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. He gave them the land that he promised them. He protected them from their enemies during the times of judges. He continued the godly lineage that they had during the times of the kings. He preserved those people. Even when they were taken away in exile, he provided them a return from exile to the land that God had promised. He oversaw their existence, their continuing existence, even though the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans conquered them. Do you see that the same El Shaddai that did did all of that, he himself became a human. And he was born right under the nose of the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And he was born downstairs with the animals to a young mother and a father who were simply trying to do their best to honor God in this world. And that this same God, El Shaddai, the God of all power, who became flesh, he got hungry, he became tired, he got hurt. He bled, and he died. The same El Shaddai was tempted, just like you and me, yet he had no sin. And even though he had the ability to call down 10,000 angels, because he is the El Shaddai, the God of all power, he refrained from doing so. Instead, he took the punishment that you and I deserve. And he died a horrible, bloody death on a cross, paying the penalty for your sins and mine. And the same El Shaddai, the God of all power, he could not be contained in the grave. He rose from the grave, and he gave us, who believe, eternal life. The same El Shaddai ascended to heaven as Lord And he's coming back. He's coming back someday, and there will be no mistake on that day that he is the God of all power. He is the El Shaddai. Listen, believer. 
If you need someone to forcefully work out his will and on your behalf, you need to call out to the El Shaddai, to the God of all power, because nobody can oppose him. No one can withstand his will. If today you are not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who became flesh, receiving him is very easy. You do have to admit that you're a sinner, that you violated his moral code, his moral law. And once you admit that you're a sinner, receive him, believe in him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died on the cross for you, the one who was raised from the grave, and the one who gives you eternal life and forgiveness. And commit yourself to following him for life. This is the opportunity that you have if you're not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those of you that are, remember the God that you serve is the God of all power.